Amen. We come to the Lord just as we are, broken as we are, needy as we are. The, the problem is when we don't come to the Lord and we think, I'm not needy, I'm not broken, I'm doing pretty good. That's not a good place to be, actually. As we see in our text of Isaiah, we are more broken, more flawed, more desperately sick than we ever could have imagined. But the good news is that at the same time, we are also more loved, more accepted, more graciously covered by the blood of the Lamb than we ever dared to dream. And God stands with open arms waiting to welcome us into his perfect warmth and embrace. It's not a very popular uh, subject, but this whole first chapter of Isaiah deals with our human frailty and just how dependent we actually are in reality on God's good grace. Again, that's not a message that we necessarily want to hear. I, of all people, don't like being told that I'm wrong. Again, if you need to know just how much I don't like to be told that I'm wrong, ask my wife. She will tell you. Uh, but we're going to take a deeper dive today into this chapter and see what the good news is about our human dependence on God is actually life-giving and liberating if we will simply trust in Him. We're going to see today how the indictment against God's people gets a little more specific here in our text uh, in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 to 20. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to that text today. But let's also remember that the point of biblical prophecy. Yes, there's a lot of bad news in the prophets. There's a lot of woe to you, and there's a lot of judgment and a lot of condemnation. But the point is not so that the prophets could nag God's people. It wasn't about complaining for the sake of complaining. It was the word of God coming to his dearly beloved people in order to turn their hearts back to him through repentance because he's longing to forgive. He's longing to embrace. He's longing to welcome them back into his loving arms, but they're blindly heading towards disaster. And God's heart is to warn them and to turn them back to himself and to show them the reality of their situation. So let's stand, if you're able to, in honor of God's word again today. Uh, we've already stood a few times today. I feel like we're getting a little liturgical here today. It's okay. It's good for uh, blood flow and everything else. So hear the word of the Lord. That's how our text begins today from Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 to 20. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. 
Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient. If you are willing and obedient. You shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. You know, I love meeting new people. Uh, I love talking to strangers. Uh, my son Jude thinks it's weird. Uh, we were on vacation a few weeks ago in Florida, and, and he would remark on how I would befriend our servers when we were going out to eat, sitting outside on patios, David, of course, with mask on and everything else as we were being careful in Florida. But uh, I, I love talking to people and getting to know them. And, and a lot of times in conversation with strangers, it will come up that I am a pastor by vocation or the server might see my family pray or something before a meal. And uh, the subject of, you know, religion will come up. And uh, sometimes a stranger will say to me, well, I, I'm not religious. I, I'm not religious. And I'll usually say something back like, well, neither am I. And they say, what? And of course, I practice religion. Of course, I'm engaged in my religion. And of course, I'm religious in those sense. But I want people under, to understand that religion is usually a system of trying to carry out what we believe are the right things to do before God. It's a system that often burns people out. It's a system of things that people do essentially in order to gain God's favor. But that's not what Christianity is. Christianity isn't a religion where we try to do things in order to get God to love us. Christianity is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is, has nothing to do with what we've done, but what has been done for us by God who graciously condescended to us to pay the debt that we could never have paid on our own. That's good news. It's not about us trying to get to God. It's about God coming to us. That's very different from the world of religion and religions. The true Christian faith turns religion and religious people on their heads. It turns everything upside down because it's not about what we do. It's about what God has done and our loving response to that. I know a lot of us here uh, have been Christians a long time. We have people in this church, guys, who've been a Christian for 80 years. We may even have people in this church who've been a Christian for 90 years. But I love new Christians because of that childlike faith that Selah and even Anne, who comes with this childlike excitement. She was so excited, wasn't she, Judy? She was so excited about today, about getting baptized. And I, we need that kind of fervor again. We need, some of us have lost that feeling of when we first 
came to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that overwhelming sense of love that flooded our souls and filled our hearts, that joy that made us want to shout or made us want to dance. Yes, we are dancing Baptist here, as we proved at the Koinonia party a few uh, service a few uh, weeks ago. Uh, the gratitude that, that overwhelmed our souls, that uh, made sense of everything else in this world, and we couldn't wait to thank God enough. We couldn't wait to worship Him, because everything else in this world paled in comparison to what we'd found in Jesus Christ at that time. How do we get back to that? Some of us are bored and tired of religion, and guess what? So is God. Some religious people here today may have never actually experienced the new birth in Jesus Christ, that new resurrection, like coming out of the water, coming out of the grave. Others have simply just been lulled to sleep by the pattern of this world and by empty, boring religion. Today's text is about getting back to a pure, to a true religion one that is life-giving, one that actually leads to joy and flourishing and thriving. This text is really about two things that lead to true and pure religion, religion and repentance. You know, I think the, the summary of these 11 verses that we just read is God basically saying to us, I want you to repent of your religion. Your religion is worthless before me unless... It comes from the authentic overflow of your heart and the overflow of your repentance. Your religion is the outpouring of your repentance. Isaiah puts this section here about true religion between verses two through nine that we looked at last week about the, the national fortunes of Israel and how they had become desolate like a, a vineyard that had been picked over by robbers. And then verses 21 and 23, we're gonna look at next week about the social uh, ills of the culture in uh, Judah and the root of all the problems, both social ills and cultural uh, national fortunes, the root problem with all of that is their religion. It all goes back to their religion. They can't be right with their culture. They can't be right with their national fortune if they're not right with their religion. The way in which they relate to the Lord, that, that changes everything. I've been thinking a lot about repentance lately. It's really a counter-cultural idea, isn't it? I heard on NPR a couple days ago, yes, I'm an old man and listen to public radio. Uh, I heard an interview with a guy who said that in our culture, this was a secular uh, social scientist, but he said in our culture, there's a resistance to regret. People don't want to say I was wrong. People don't want to say uh, I'm sorry. People don't want to have to stop going in the direction that they've been going in and turn around and go back. That seems like a waste of time at best. At worst, it seems like weakness and it seems like poor leadership or something. But the fact is, if you're headed in a direction that is heading towards destruction, then it only makes sense. It's only life-giving. It's only loving and gracious to stop and turn and go back to what is good and what is life-giving. That is repentance. 
more and more I realize that what our country needs, what our church needs, what we all need, including me, starting with me, is repentance. It begins, it can't be us saying, you need to repent. It's got to start with taking an honest look at the log in our own eye before we deal with the speck in anybody else's eye. But true repentance is, is what we really need. And repentance, again, it gets a bad rap. Some people confuse this idea of repentance with like the Catholic notion of penance, right? Penance is like self-punishment, you know, like flagellation or, or going to confession because it's uh, some ritual that somehow uh, can absolve you of your sin. That's not what we're talking about here. True repentance is a gift from God where we open our eyes to reality of how our sins are punishing us already. Our own sins are already hurting us enough. We don't need to hurt ourselves any further. And repentance isn't going over a list of mistakes that we've made. It's a, a, a holistic look inward at our lives, at our own proclivity to make a mess of things. It's looking at ourselves not with puffed up pride. I'm doing pretty good. It's looking at ourselves with a little bit of self-suspicion. Now, one theologian said that repentance is the honest new self renouncing the shifty old self. And what Isaiah is showing us here about repentance is that it turns our cold and tired and boring religion into authentic intimacy with the high and holy God of all creation. But again, God's people are really good at deluding themselves. We'd often rather go through the motions of religion without actually having to align our lives with God, even when it costs us dearly. Isaiah is bringing us God's loving and gracious corrective here. He's exposing the hypocrisy of our futile religion. We're gonna see how he takes four steps in his righteous analysis of our situation. First, we're gonna see a confrontation in chapter one, verse 10. And then we're gonna see the accusation in the next five verses. And then we're gonna see a gracious invitation. And then we're left with a decision in the last two verses of this text. These four steps in his righteous analysis of our reality. Let's start with the confrontation. Verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Remember last week, we ended with verse nine, which said, if it wasn't for God's grace, you would have been just like Sodom and Gomorrah. You would have been wiped off the face of the earth. And these are religious people, right? And they're like, no, we're nothing like Sodom and Gomorrah. We're, we're really good people who go to the temple and we make sacrifices. We're not like those heathens and those pagans. So now Isaiah is like, well, let me think about that. Actually, you're not like them. You are them. <laughs> He's saying not only are you complicit in what Sodom and Gomorrah has done, but you're just the same. And he calls them, he's talking to Israel, the rulers of Sodom and Gomorrah. Man, that's doubling down on that. There's a lot of uh, pearl clutching that happens when uh, the prophets talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh my, we're nothing like those people. Those people are terrible people. It really would have woken them up. It's an intense confrontation. Sometimes we need to be shaken up. Sometimes we need to be confronted 
with the reality that we're heading towards destruction as a loving act of grace before we actually end up in the ditch. Sometimes we do end up in the ditch. But the confrontation of the Lord shakes us out of our stupor and allows us to be honest with ourselves and with God. Next comes the accusation, verses 11 to 15. God gives us his uh, assessment of our religion. Derek Kidner, one of my favorite commentarians, uh, says that of all the prophetic outbursts at religious unreality, this is the most powerful and sustained. Its vehemence is unsurpassed. God sees through the surface actions of our religion and he calls us out for what we are. Look at verse 11. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? So you've brought a lot of sacrifices. Cool, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. He's not impressed with how many costly sacrifices we bring before him. He made all those animals, all the expensive offerings that have been brought forth as sacrifices in the temple, none of those things actually matter to God because he's not after the fat of rams. What is he after? We'll get to that later. Let's keep going. Look at verse 12. When you come to appear before me, who's required of you this trampling of my courts? We're going to see here the heart of worship. The heart of worship. When you come to appear before me, Worship is drawing near to God. Worship is coming with the intention of coming into the presence of the holy God, entering into his awesome beauty of his holiness. That's a beautiful thing that we often make a mess of by trampling all over it with no sense of reverence, no sense of majesty, no sense of awe or adoration before the high and holy God. We're, we're wrangling children like me and my, my wife are. I say me, mostly my wife. We have so many thoughts about this week and about how many unemployment claims you're going to have to file this week, Eddie, with the state of Tennessee and how many, uh, you know, students you're going to have to talk to, David, about their dissertations. And I don't know if you have dissertations. I guess not in pharmacy school. That was my grad school. But we have all these things that are pressing on us and we don't enter into God's courts with thanksgiving or with praise. Worship simply becomes part of our religion where we shuffle our feet in and we say, okay, Aaron, what kind of songs you got for us today? <laughs> All right, preacher man, what kind of funny stories do you have about your kid today? All right, let's entertain us a little bit. What you got for us? God can't stand that kind of worship service where we shuffle in, shuffle out without actually encountering the living God in worship. What does he want from us? Keep going. Verse 13. Bring no more vain offerings. Literally, that means offerings of nothing, empty offerings. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath are the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. He doesn't need our songs. He doesn't need our money. God doesn't need anything. He's not needy at all. He commands us to worship and sacrifice. Yes, why? Because he's needy? No, because he's loving. 
Because he wants us to, to experience what is best for us, which is the glory and splendor of Almighty God, drawing near to him, experiencing God. That is the best thing we could possibly have. That's what causes everything else to pale in comparison. He wants us to be filled with his fullness. Therefore, God can't stand our unconfessed sin, our iniquity that we come into our solemn assemblies. All these meetings that he called for, by the way, new moon feast, those are prescribed in the law. All these convocations where we come together simply become empty religious gatherings, wasting our time and God's time, more importantly. Without repentance, our religion becomes worthless to all of us. And worthless religion is just a burden on God. Look at verse 14. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. What kind of sin does God hate? That's a bad word in my house. We don't say hate. I'm sure Isaiah is right now panicked that we're saying hate right now. <laughs> what kind of thing wearies God's soul so much that he hates it? We think of typically murder, right? Lying, stealing, all this political strife. You know, those are the things that God hates. No, it says here, what God really hates is empty religious ceremonies that wear him out. He's sick of them. And again, the irony here is that we don't like going to empty religious ceremonies either. It's boring. None of us want to be a part of something that you just shuffle in and shuffle out again. That's lame. I don't want to do that. It's a waste of our time if we're not actually encountering the living God. We think, though, sometimes that if we go through the motions, if we get dressed up and if we go to church and somehow God will be pleased with us, somehow we'll earn his favor, somehow things will go better for us. But if we do go to church or do give offerings or whatever it is that we do that's religious in nature without repentance, then it's a burden on us and a burden on God. Serving God was never about doing worship. External religious activity, no matter how costly, no matter how excellent, no matter how good the music and the preaching are, was never the point. But hang on, it's not like these people, again, are, they're not worshiping pagans, right? They're not sacrificing to idols. They're actually obeying the Hebrew scriptures that God himself gave to his people, they're doing what the law says. They're offering him sacrifices in accordance with the law. So what does God want from us? What does God see that we don't see? Verse 15 tells us, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. God sees that our hands are full of blood. What blood? I haven't killed anybody. I'm not a murderer. How could my hands be filled with blood? That's not me he's talking to. Surely I'm not a violent person. Never gotten in a fight, never spilled blood. And prayer, I mean, again, prayer's got to be the purest form of religion, right? If you're praying, it's like it's going from your heart to God's heart. It's hard to fake prayer. Even when we don't know what to say to God, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans that are too deep for words, how could the Lord reject that? 
because our hands are filled with blood. The Lord rejects prayers from those who lack repentance. Again, how could we possibly be people with blood in our hands? Remember that these people had been doing what? Bringing sacrifices. What happens when you make a sacrifice? They would drain the blood of the animals. Those people's hands were filled with blood, but not the blood of foreigners, not the blood of people they had killed, but the blood of their empty, vain sacrifices. Jesus said that murder can take many forms. There's many ways to get blood on our hands, including anger, bitterness, and unresolved relationships, according to Matthew 5, character assassination, backstabbing, convincing others to not like this person. That's not just a preschool problem. That apparently happens with adults as well. Our hands are bloodier than we think. And maybe this is why our prayer lives lack fervor and power. If we were clean, if we were repentant before the Lord in prayer, how much richer, how much more effective would our prayer lives be? What's the solution? Well, here again in verse 16, we see a gracious invitation. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. It's not rocket science, is it? Repentance doesn't involve saying magic prayers and, and bringing more sacrifices before the Lord. Here we see nine straightforward commandments from the Lord offered as correctives. Clean up your lives, God says. Merge your outward religion with your inner self. And then let your inner repentance so manifest itself in your life that it actually makes a difference in bringing my kingdom to earth as it is in heaven, where you actually make a difference. I got to be a part of the Habitat for Humanity presentation. We went and worked on day one uh, of the build. A lot of you in here were there. And Randy Perkins and I got to go on Friday and see, there's Randy, uh, and see uh, the, the dedication service. And I got to hand over the keys to the house. That was such a cool part of the ceremony. And I read from Matthew 16 where Jesus tells Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. That means Peter's going to be able to open doors into God's kingdom as it should be. He's going to have a part in bringing about God's justice and God's goodness in a world that is full of brokenness. That is what our repentance should lead to. We should serve those who cannot pay us back for no reward other than it's bringing about the kingdom because that is reward enough. Remember what James, the brother of Jesus, wrote. James 1, 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Oh, I wish I could visit more widows these days with COVID. And to keep oneself unstained from the world, clean up your life and make a difference in the world. Those are our invitation. And it gets better. God's always more ready with grace than we ever thought. Look at verse 18. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. I love that. He's like, just think this through. Like, just come and sit with me and just 
think about it. Reason through it with me. I'll, I'll walk with you through it. Let's just talk this out, okay? You're going this way. It's not going to end up good. It's leading to disaster, and you know it if you think about it. Just let us reason together, God says. This is not unreasonable. Uh, one of my favorite books is Reason for God by Tim Keller because he shows that Christianity is reasonable. It's not some far-fetched fantasy thing. This is reasonable religion at work. Let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. God stands ready to forgive. Though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. God's saying, let's just sit down. I think you're going to realize my ways are actually better than your ways. We'll both be happier, I promise. Give me your blood red hands and I will wash them clean in the blood of the perfect spotless lamb and your religion will be sparked and reignited and will come alive. How do we become free of our hypocrisies and the dull burden of empty religion? Only by God's gracious invitation. Only by receiving his invitation. Richard Lovelace in his classic Dynamics of Spiritual Life writes, psychoanalysts speak of the resistance that patients have toward the discovery of traumatic material hidden in the unconscious. The same automatic fear of having rep repressed problems uncovered will grip and bind Christians unless they are deeply assured that they are accepted in the beloved, received by God as if they were perfectly righteous because their guilt is canceled by the righteousness of Christ laid to their account. God simply wants honesty, openness, and a trusting reliance on Christ our Savior. Ray Ortland in his commentary says, the problem with religion is this, the more biblical and beautiful its form becomes, the more useful it is as a mechanism for evading honest dealing with God and the more plausible as a substitute for repentance. The more exciting our religion, the more flashy and excellent it gets, the more it becomes a mechanism for actually avoiding having to deal with the high and holy God. The more it becomes an excuse, a plausible excuse for not repenting. God knows this, so he assures us, let's just talk about this, okay? Open your heart to me and I will open my heart to you. I only want what's best for you. Will you let me save you from yourself? Finally, we have the decision to make here in verses 19 and 20. If you are willing and obedient, there's a decision to make. Will you be willing and obedient or not? If you are, you shall eat the good of the land. God wants to give us good things. How many of you like good food? I do. I love good food. Nashville's a great food town. I love going to restaurants. Evan Koontz went to Margot Cafe finally and had some of the best food in East Nashville. Uh, I, I love all these new restaurants. Santo over here is incredible. You've been there, Calvin? I bet you and Jamie have been there. It's so good. Man, you need to go. God wants us to have good things. He wants us to experience goodness. He says, if you're willing and obedient, you're going to eat the good stuff. But if not, you're going to be eaten. 
If you're not, if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. You're going to be the one who gets taken over. The mouth of the Lord has spoken this. The only thing standing in the way of our repentance and renewal with God is our own stubbornness. You're not stubborn, are you? I'm not. <laughs> Again, I, this resistance to regret is rampant. We don't like to admit that we're wrong. But re repentance, again, isn't giving a pound of flesh. It's simply being honest with God and with ourselves. It's being open and responsive to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that's actually life-giving. Our religion becomes pleasing to God when we clean up our lives and when we, when we seek the things that actually matter to him. He doesn't care about our bank accounts or our sacrifices. He cares about justice. He cares about compassion. He actually believes that this world can be made new again, and he's working to redeem it. And he's using us to be part of that. Do you really believe that today? Do you believe that God is a good, good father who's waiting to receive you with open arms? You know, a lot of people don't like going to church, and the text here says that God doesn't either. Not if our hearts are far from him. God's after our hearts today. The heart of worship is our hearts drawing near to God's. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. Come ye thirsty, come and welcome God's free bounty. Glorify true belief and true repentance. Every grace that brings you nigh. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you poor and needy weak and wounded, sick and sore. We receive afresh, God, your healing grace and forgiveness. God, we confess we have blood on our hands. We have been complicit in bringing about injustice. We have refused to show compassion to those who most need it. We have done good things, God, but only to seek earthly rewards or the accolades of others besides you. God, we have sinned against you by the things we've done, the things that we've left undone. We've sinned against you in thought, in word, and in deed. And in repentance now, God, we receive your grace, your forgiveness in a life-giving way that fills our souls with your Holy Spirit. We are now in your holy presence, God, keenly aware that you are with us, filling this space. God, we long to have a genuine encounter of fresh wind and fresh fire in our bones, in our souls, that gets rid of empty, worthless religion and actually causes us to love as you love, to seek the things that your heart seeks after that longs to come into your presence to worship you in praise and in adoration because you alone are worthy to receive it. 
God, we thank you for your word, even the, the harsh truth that it shows us, the confrontation, the accusation. We don't like to hear those things, God, but then you give us a sweet invitation to come and to think with you through this about how reasonable it is to lay down our burdens, to lay down our sins before you and to receive your healing and your grace in a way that leads to flourishing and life. Thank you, oh God, for the gift of repentance. We repent before you now, trusting in your goodness to cleanse us from every unrighteousness, to remove our sins as far as east is from west, to cleanse our scarlet, uh, sin-stained garments into glorious, pure white, dipped in the blood of the perfect, spotless lamb. We pray these things in the perfect, holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're going to have a hymn of response. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If you need repentance today, by the way, that's all of us. If you need cleansing, if you need forgiveness, that's you. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me. Then let's sing this from our hearts today. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If you have a decision you need to make today, if you want to join Woodmont Baptist Church like Ann did, maybe you've been sprinkled as a baby and you've never been baptized by immersion and you want to take part in that beautiful symbol of being raised into a whole new kind of life, I invite you to come forward right now and tell me about it. If you've never received new birth in Christ as a Christian before and you want to be cleansed from within and without, then come and talk to me about that. I'll be down here too at the front to receive you. Whatever it is that you need to do today, let's sing this from our hearts, nothing but the blood. Let's stand and sing.